0: Good morning, everyone. In 1952, there was a British film that came out um, called The Sound Barrier. Anybody seen it? No? Awesome. Thank you, Anthony. Um, and uh, kind of the gist of the movie is, uh, as you might imagine... Um, this group of pilots who were attempting to break the sound barrier. And there's a, a you know, a, a part of the story is also a father-daughter relationship. And um, there's a kind of a love relationship that's a part of this story, of course. Um, awesome. Donovan and Emily are here. Wow. That's great to see you guys. <laughs> um. And uh, but in this in this movie, these pilots they try to break the sound barrier, and a number of them fail, or when they do, they hit the sound barrier, and they and they do what they're kind of what's natural for them to do as pilots, and it leads to um, them crashing and losing their lives. But. uh, This one pilot, I don't even think it's Chuck Yeager in the movie, but um, this one pilot gets in his plane and he flies approaching the speed of breaking the sound barrier. And what he decides to do is that when he hits the barrier, rather than doing what you normally do as a pilot, which is to pull back, um, to fly up, He he does what's counterintuitive to him and slams it forward. Um, And according to the movie, this is what proves to be the successful tactic in uh, him breaking through the sound barrier and and flying it to new new speeds that no one had ever flown before. Later, Chuck Yeager was asked if that was really how it went down. And he said, you know, it's a good movie, but no, that's not how it happened. (laughs) My brother-in-law is a pilot, and he let me fly in a Navy simulator one time. uh, And Caleb went with me. And it took us a number of times to kind of figure it out, because even flying itself, any pilots in the room, is a bit counterintuitive, because you do. You take the, the control stick, and rather than pushing up to go up, You you pull down to go up. Um, And so we crashed into different areas of San Diego um, many times uh, before we kind of figured out how to uh, fly around Southern California in this simulator. We're going to do some talking together today. It's a holiday weekend, smaller group, um, fun to do, important, I think, for for dwelling in God's word. Real quick, person next to you, one or two people. Things in life that are counterintuitive, that like to really pull them off or to do them, it takes a little bit of a counterintuitive approach, um, an approach that, you, you know, might not seem like it would make sense. But, but it does go for it real quick people, people around you things in life that are a bit counterintuitive counterintuitive aspects of life what uh, what'd you come up with? share your knowledge your uh, wealth of wisdom with one another things in life that are a bit counterintuitive come on there we go when you hit ice, steer into it. There you go. What else? Yeah. We were talking about parenting. No one else. How like three year olds are non-logical creatures, sadly? And um how it's counterintuitive to be nice or be silly to get your teeth brushed or put on your panties or get into bed or get in every house. Parenting. All right, very true. Yeah? I was thinking about like in music or other kind of like high skill activities, sometimes when you're like trying so hard to do the right thing, do it perfectly, it's like you don't perform as well as so you just kind of let your muscle memory you take over and mm. put your mind and relax. you like performing better and being better. Yeah, right. I was golfing one time and I stink at golf, but I was with a good golfer and he said, you can't out-hustle this. <laughs> I'm like, that's how I do things. <laughs> Outwork it, yeah. What else? Yeah, Jake. I don't have a ton of experience with this, but I know from movies that being a successful gambler, you are satisfied. You are putting more when the odds are with you Awesome. We have our first men's retreat coming up in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Esther. (laughs) Amen. <laughs> Sam? In whitewater rafting, okay. Like to do it, period, or? <laughs> yeah. Your impulse is to, like, cower back, and it actually makes you more likely to be launched out uh, of the boat. Right. aggressive <laughs> in much Okay, that's good. Man, I didn't know that. We this is, we got time, so this is fun. Yeah, or. <laughs> that mistake. Anthony. Whenever you have somebody aggravating a at you, instead of making it one, you keep it even. Mm-hmm. Area, so. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting deep, Tamara. Yeah. In fundraising, <laughs> <laughs> the folks who are most likely to get again are the people who just most recently made you that donation. Uh, so. okay. Ah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I have had women mm-hmm. tell me after they had babies that the most meaningful thing that I said to them was, It's going to hurt. we And then that's how I Yeah, Laura, wow, I like them. of most twisted things, small babies, the more they sleep in the day, the more sleep in the night. That is quite hard, too. Could be true for all of us we just. Uh, <laughs> um, we've been learning about Jesus. We're in a year where we're going to. Just really intentionally look at the Gospel of Matthew and study who Jesus is, and 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 consider together as a community what does it mean to live into to God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven uh, that Jesus talks about over and over and over again in the Gospels. And we we've we've looked at a few of the early stories. Um, there's been this this call of Jesus to fish for people to bear good fruit and. Jesus proclaims this new thing um, called the kingdom of heaven. And for the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching or description about what is this kingdom of heaven. And my gut is going to be that a lot of what we look at um, in this kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive um, to, to the ways that we, we live and, and breathe and, and um, just do life. It's counterintuitive to the ways of the world. Um, and especially this, this first section um, that we're going to read. Let me read these to you to us. Um, They're called the Beatitudes um, historically. And I'm going to I'm going to read this this to us. And then I'll talk a little bit and then we'll we'll talk together about this. When Jesus saw the crowds. uh, He went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying... Jesus has an interesting relationship with crowds throughout the Gospels. I mean, sometimes... And if you think about crowds, they're, they're quite a social phenomenon. Any kind of crowd. crowd at a game, a crowd at a concert, a crowd in a rally. Any kind of crowd... Um, just kind of takes on a life of its own, a personality of its own. And so sometimes in the Gospels, crowds are chanting, crucify him to Jesus. Um, sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus, and many times, sees the crowds and the Gospel says that he has compassion on them. Um, when, when we're a part of crowds, we need compassion, I think. Um, Sometimes he sees the crowds and he gets in a boat and goes to the other side of the lake. Can I get an amen? Um, In this this story, he sees the crowds and he decides to go to a mountain to teach about this thing that that he's proclaimed. And so again, and we won't spend too much time on this, but again, there's all this imagery of Exodus that is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Baptism story, backgrounds of the creation story. Wilderness story, kind of backgrounds of the people of of Israel coming out of Egypt. Um, Fishing for people out of the water, out of chaos. Kind of images of the people of God going through the Red Sea. Um, And here, where does Jesus go? But he goes with the crowds up to a mountain. To get not the, the law, but the new, to give the new law. Um, the Sermon on the Mount. The new way of living God's kingdom. So he goes up this mountain. Um, by the way, a little aside. When we, a small group of us, named Mountainside Communion. Um, there was... Uh, desire for geography to matter. And so, we didn't want foothills because everything was foothills. Um, but we we're near these mountains. But also, this this story of the Sermon on the Mount that we wanted to be a people who lived um, lived this this sermon, if you will. Um, but Jesus says, he sits down and he's, again, he's proclaimed a new kingdom. This is a political thing. He's gathered people in the story before. It's, it's kind of interesting to kind of sit and think, what is he going to tell this crowd? What is he going to teach them about a new and different kingdom? Get your weapons. Get more troops. Let's take the capital. Let's take the temple. Those would be the kind of normal ways of going about establishing a new kingdom but there's this counterintuitiveness that happens that goes like this Jesus says blessed blessed are who blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth Blessed, what does blessed mean? Um, It's not a religious or kind of cultic act. It's a a way of life. It's it's a way of living life open to God. Um, Sometimes it's translated happiness. Happy are those um, that we just read about. It's very counterintuitive, because I don't know about you, but if I have met people who are poor in spirit, um, they're not the ones that you take over empires with. Um, People who uh, mourn... um, interesting selection of people to live some kind of new regime... People who hunger and thirst for righteousness occasionally will be filled. But um, a lot of the times, that hunger and thirst, it, the fact that it remains is what drives and keeps us going. Um, this is a very counterintuitive group of people. Um, very counterintuitive kind of teaching or direction. Um, if what you're up to is a, is a new kingdom, is a new heaven. A couple things I think to think about when we, when we read this together. One, um, the Sermon on the Mount is read best when it's read in connection with who Jesus is. So what I mean by that is, if we, I think we get ourselves into trouble if we read the Sermon on the Mount as some kind of like universal teaching or universal ethic or something... Disconnected from who Jesus is and was, I think the only thing that 's going to help us make sense of this counterintuitive teaching is to remember the person and work and life of who Jesus is, and we 're trying to follow Jesus this year, so that 's a good thing to do. Um, not that for guests, we try to follow Jesus every year but <laughs> but this year we 're really just we 're talking about it a lot um, so we got to remember. ...who who Jesus is. But also what's great about the, the Sermon on the Mount... ...is what we have is we have the church's... ...kind of most clear description of who Jesus is. Does that make sense? So like Jesus gives witness to this teaching about the kingdom of heaven... ...but this teaching gives witness to who Jesus was and is. And so when we talk about this stuff... We're not just talking about like invitations or, or law for us to live into. We're talking about the very character and nature of who God is. And so when we say, like Jonathan said earlier, we, we want to be a community that follows Christ and doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God, it's because we worship a God who does justly and who is merciful. And who is humble. Um, it goes kind of back and forth. And we need to remember that when we read, read the Sermon on the Mount. The second thing is that we read the Sermon on the Mount. It's in connection with hope or with the future. Most of our life, I think, we look at the present as a result of the past. Right? Um. Tell me about your family. Well, back in so-and-so year, my great-great-grandparents immigrated to this, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and we're here, right? Um, But so much of our life is not only dictated by kind of what came before. It's also dictated by those hopes that we have in us for the future. Those hopes shape our lives and shape our decisions. And so when we read the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's really important that we remember God's, kind of the kingdom of heaven is here and at hand, and we're going to celebrate that and live that to the best of our abilities, but it's not yet here in completion and fullness. And so when we read the Sermon on the Mount, I think we need to connect it with the future that God has promised um, for the world. Um, We've talked about this quite a bit, so I won't say a whole lot more. But it's a future of of peace and lions laying down with lambs and and things like that. And so to read this and not consider that, I think we we can miss. Um, And then the last thing is that the Sermon on the Mount is read best... ...as an address to a community of followers of Jesus. Not to individuals who somehow, okay, here's my new checklist you in heart, check. Mourn, check. Um, peacemaker, check. Um, I got I to pull all these things off. That's not, I don't think, the most helpful way to read this. The most helpful way to read it is Jesus sitting on a hill with a crowd in front of him. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Well, who's sitting with him? Those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who's sitting with him? These are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the and the word blessed is not an um, imperative. It's not a, a command. It's a proclamation. Like, blessed are you, this crowd who Jesus has compassion for, who he needs to avoid sometimes. Um Blessed are you because the kingdom of heaven is yours. And it's not too far of a jump for us to look at the, around this room and to see in this community that this is this type, this community, the type of community that this is written to. We have pure in heart among us, we have those who mourn among us. We have those who hunger and thirst for righteousness among us. Um, peacemakers among us. Um, it's written to a community of people who follow Jesus. Um, so it's not a heroic ethic, but it's a, it's a coming together of a people that, that says, you know what? These beatitudes, I can't do this on my own. This like no anger thing that we're going to read about later, like don't ever get angry. This like don't lust thing. Um, I can't do this without God and without a community of people um, living into this different counterintuitive future that we're reading about. Um, There's a man from El Salvador, Jorge Lara Browd. He's a friend of Oscar Romero. And I was reading something by him on this. And I'm going to just read his his quote. He says, let me take advantage of my native language, Spanish. And then he says, the language of God and the angels. Um, (laughs) To get more deeply into the meaning of beatitude... In Spanish, the word is translated, bien aventuranza. Did you all write on that? Yeah? Okay. Literally, good adventure with you, or to you. Um, An adventure means risk, he goes on to say. Adventure means the courage to defy the odds, the refusal to play it safe. And then he goes through and reads the Beatitudes with that translation... Good adventure to the poor in spirit. Uh, Those who are humble. Those who lack arrogance. um, Who find their identity in their relation to God and not possessions. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good adventure to those who mourn. Those who mourn the state of the world. Those who mourn how far we are from the kingdom of heaven. For they will be comforted. Good adventure to the meek. Not holy doormats. Um, but those who've renounced the violent methods of this world. And the worldly power that takes that. Um, for they will inherit the earth. Good adventure to To those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. um, Whose love of God is made public. They they hunger and they thirst that that this love of God would be a public reality in our world. uh, For they will be filled. Good adventure to the merciful. Those who do acts of mercy. uh, For they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Good adventure to those who are pure in heart, those who are, have single-minded devotion um, to God and to the kingdom of heaven because they will see God. Um, good adventure to the peacemakers. This is, this is such an interesting one because they will be called children of God. Emperors of Rome were called peacemakers. They were called sons of God. Why? Because they crushed opponents to bring peace. Um, And here's Jesus saying, good adventure to the peacemakers who do it a little bit differently. Um, It's counterintuitive. Um, It doesn't seem like that works. Um, Even today, sometimes. And good adventure to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Um, For then, again, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Part of what makes the Beatitude so counterintuitive is that Jesus pronounces God's blessing on those who expose our own vulnerability. Yeah. Those who mourn remind us that we've been there, we may be there, we'll be there. Those who are poor in spirit remind us um, of our own vulnerabilities. of Devotion to things, material possessions, um, and on and on and on. So here's what I want to do in small groups. Um, with this bit of an intro in mind, someday I'll get this right. Um, in groups of three to four, uh, choose one set. I'll move this back here. Choose one, like, set of Beatitudes. And this may be too much to ask, but I'll, I'll put this back up. Just choose, choose a Beatitude. And how might this part of Jesus' description of the kingdom of heaven or the future connect with life? What would it look like in your life, in our life, in the world? Who in our world embodies these descriptions? Globally, nationally, locally, in our community, personally. Um, Who in your life or our community might need to hear that they are blessed when all else seems to declare otherwise? Um, And if none of those make any sense, what thoughts or questions were raised for you? Um, As you think about the... uh, the Beatitudes, all right? So spend a little time with some people around you, try to keep the groups kind of small, and just kind of work through these questions together, all right? Introduce yourselves if you need to. Go for it. You don't have it memorized, Jordan. You don't have it memorized. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's right. Getting multiple asks I'll go back and forth yeah I'll rotate back and forth mark. yeah. What's that? No, no, single, single. I just thought tackling all nine would be too much for a group. Yeah. Like, I meant like, I meant like, like you're. Oh, that's soft. It's not recording. couple couple more minutes and then we'll come back together actually maybe one more minute I'm laughing because everyone keeps asking me to change it. Let's, um, let's come back together and let's just briefly hear from uh, some of the groups on where your conversation went when considering the, the blessings, those who, who are blessed um, in, God's, in God's kingdom. Um, what did, uh, where did everyone go with this? Who wants to be the first group to report back? Just just a simple report. Abby, yes. Yeah. Mm. That seems more palatable, like uh, it's not it doesn't have that, that the weight that the word blessed carries. Right. It just seems um, like everyone, me, meat, the mile, the foreign spirit are going to have adventures or whatever, you know. Right. I don't know. I'm not saying it right now. No, it's worth yeah, no, that's good. Kind of the uh, the how tricky that word blessed has, can be in our language. Yeah, good. Other groups. Where'd your conversation go? I'm gonna start picking on people. Don, same group. Right. <laughs> uh, I think it also kind of made me think of, um, like, if you are these things, then you get this. Right. So if you, if you suffer through depression, you'll be happy soon. Right, so, right. Yeah, Daniel. Maybe not, yeah. Sure. I mean, to to acknowledge that in in the world's kind of way of thinking, this this stuff is not what we're aiming for, a lot of it, right? But yeah, like what Daniel was saying, in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven that's breaking in, um, those who mourn will be comforted. Like maybe in this world, those who mourn aren't, but in in the way of life of the kingdom of heaven, those who mourn will be. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, thanks. Others as kids begin to come in. Where'd your groups go? Yeah, Kevin. a great example. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone hear that? Kind of the women's march is an example of, uh, you know, a variety of people, 750,000, is that what you said? Um, maybe even different kind of reasons for being there, but a hunger and a thirst for something new, something different. Um, and the promise to the kingdom of heaven is that, I mean, honestly, that was the one that I read and thinking about our church. There's so many people in this room who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And sometimes it's our, our sense of righteousness, right? Um, and sometimes it's, it's righteousness. Um, and and that, that in the kingdom of heaven, that will be filled um, is, a, is, a, is an amazing promise for, I would guess, many people who are hoping for kind of love made public um, in our body. Um, anybody else? I think we have more kids to wait on. Where did your groups go? Who, who did you name as examples? Did you have your hand up? Yeah. Give us your name. Again. William. Good to see you again, William. Is what? Pure in heart Amen. Probably because you see that in everyone means that you are a leader in that for us. Um, amen. Thank you for sharing. Huh. Um, Misty's going to come and uh, lead Eucharist this morning. On if you came in late, we uh, thanked Aaron and his dad Warren and the sacrifice that their families have made um, for them to be able to to bring this their work. Um, into a, you know, just such an important piece of what we do. Um, and we're going to pray, um, and the prayer is going to note that we all bring, we all bring what we do. Some of it came up in our counterintuitive conversations, which was fun. Um, but we all bring um, what we do to this. Um, and uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's do the Eucharist together, Misty.